This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRR-FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Fiona Patton, MP. Fiona is the leader of the Reason Party and she's also a representative for the Northern Metropolitan Region in the Legislative Council of the Victorian Parliament. Fiona joined me to discuss Victorian state politics and policy. We talk about her new bill, which seeks to ensure that all publicly funded hospitals, including denominational or religious ones that receive government funding, provide abortion services, contraception and voluntary assisted dying. Fiona also discusses the controversial anti-protest logging bill, which unfortunately passed the Victorian Parliament's both lower and upper houses. Fiona voted against the bill. She also discusses the Victorian government's concerning plans to share every Victorian patient's data in a centralised health database with no way for individuals to opt out. This database will be utilised by public and private hospitals, outpatient clinics, residential care services, mental health, community health and ambulance services. The bill has passed the lower house in the Victorian Parliament and is now sitting in the upper house for consideration. It's called the Health Legislation Amendment Information Sharing Bill 2021. I'm really, really pleased to welcome onto the program Fiona Patton, who is a politician here in the state of Victoria. Fiona was first elected to the Upper House, the Legislative Council, in 2014, and then she was re-elected in 2018 for the Northern Metropolitan Region, which I believe encompasses 3RRR. And uh, Fiona is also the chair of the Legislative Council Legal and Social Issues Committee, which she has done since March 2019. And she is, for many who may know her, the leader of the Reason Party, which used to be called the Australian Sex Party, for those who have a very long memory. It's really wonderful to have Fiona back on the show for, I believe, the third time. But it has been a long time between chats. So I'm very excited to welcome Fiona onto the program now to discuss a whole range of issues relating to state politics. Hi there, Fiona, and thank you very much for coming back onto the show. Oh, thanks, Amy. It's lovely to speak to you again. And indeed, Triple R is right. Well, actually, these days my electorate has gone north. So it's probably a third of the way into my electorate. Right. And how far does it span now? I know boundaries must move because of population density and that kind of thing. That's right. That's right. And I think for any for any of the listeners in the north, I mean, you can almost see the creep of the suburbs in the north. So um, Beveridge is now considered northern metropolitan. Um, wow. I know, so, you know, <laughs> Beveridge used to be a place to stop on the way to, you know, yeah. town. So, yeah, and I think, I, I, you know, the extension of old Sydney Road is now in my electorate, which is, so I think it's the first time I've had a dirt road in northern metropolitan. But I also, I've also moved west and include Essendon. So, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a... It's become, a, it's a 600,000 people. It's a massive electorate, which I love. Yeah. I'm amazed there still are dirt roads now, you know, so close to the city. I know. I know. You could sort of drive along this road, you'd have these views back to the city and it, it's really a beautiful part part of um, of the electorate. And, in fact, I, I even found a, a winery while I was wandering along that road. Uh, so, mm. yes, well worth getting out and exploring that part of Mickleman and the sort of the northwest of Melbourne. 
Well, I'm so glad to hear that you're getting out and about because it must be a huge task for an upper house MP or, or member to be able to get to so many places given how big your regions are, the regions that you're representing, and clearly everyone wants to have a say, I'm sure, as to what's on their mind. And one thing I wanted to start the conversation around was the Reason Party, because we have seen it expanding and growing, and it was obviously very prominent during the federal election. We saw some high-profile candidates, including Jane Caro in New South Wales. And so it sounds like from its humble beginnings way, way back when, that things are, you know, doing really well for the Reason Party at the moment. Look, they are, Amy. I mean, we... I think it's always a struggle for a small party, and even with some someone so brilliant, you know, someone as brilliant as Jane Caro, you know, we couldn't get her across the line. And running in the Senate, of course, you know, you've got to get hundreds and thousands of votes. It's a bit different to running in a lower house seat. Uh, and yeah, so we are we are growing, and our support is building, and our memberships building, uh, but. You know, I'm still I'm still the only elected member of Reason at the moment. Mm. Maybe that'll change after the 22 election. Yeah, well, I was thinking it. that there's so many people putting their opinions out there around the rise of the independence in the mm-hmm. federal election. How is that going to translate, if at all, at the state level in Victoria? You know, do yeah. you see that there's a an opportunity for minor parties and more independents to start to take ground from Labor and Liberals? Oh, I definitely do, Amy. And I think, um, you know, it's it certainly, I think reason has proved that, you know, you can be a really effective member of par- parliament, even just a, a, even when you're just a single member. I fully expect that we'll see more um, independence in our lower house. So they'll be joining the likes of the wonderful Susanna Sheed and Ali Kappa uh, in the lower house. And, you know, it, I suspect it will be following... Um, following the successes of that federal election. So where Zoe Daniel picked up all of those votes and where Monique Ryan picked up those votes, I think we could see some um, some more teal, teal independence in those areas. What, you know, I, I think, which is a good thing, mm-hmm. on the other side of this, we are seeing a lot of very conser- socially conservative parties and protest parties coming out and registering now, um, so there's there's a risk that we will see um, a, a real conservative shift in the upper house. You know, you look at some of the pre-selections from the Liberal Party for upper house seats, and you know we've got the likes of Moira Deering and Dr. Ruth um, Heath, who are both um, extremely conservative uh, evangelical. Um, religious uh, candidates, and there's a number of those. And I, you know, and actually, there's a few on the Labor side as well. Some very conservative members who will be joining the upper house. So, you know, it's 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 going it's going to be a very interesting election. And I think we have to be very cautious and and pay close attention to to who's running under whatever whatever banner, whatever freedom banner they might be running under. Yeah, it was interesting that did certainly come about in the federal election when you delved into some of those parties that seemed to have very benign names and you'd look through their policies <laughs> and right at the end it was like, and we, you know, hate masks and vaccination. But at the start there was all these very reasonable things and That's then you right. get towards the end and there's the fine print. 
No, exactly, exactly. And look, and I know One Nation and Clive Palmer have registered in Victoria, so it looks like they're mm. going to be running in in this election. So, you know, I'm uh, we've got a very diverse crossbench at the moment, but I hope that in the next in, at, at this election we'll see, you know, hopefully we'll see more progressive people being elected in that upper house to counter what I think we're going to see in the right in the rise of that, yeah, very conservative, verging on conspiracy theory. Actually not even verging. I mean Clive Palmer's party is a total conspiracy <laughs> conspiracy theory party. The, they'll be putting in money, they'll be putting in candidates all over the place. And I I just um I, I hope we're sensible and that they're, they're not successful. Gosh. It is scary to think, and it's actually not that far away. We're looking at November, aren't we? So, indeed, <laughs> things are going to ramp up for you and everyone else, I'm sure. It, yeah, it's getting very close, and I think I'd encourage all listeners to kind of get involved, like get in, get involved in this process. It's a lot of fun, you know. But there's and there's lots of different parties out there. There'll be lots of different independents out there, and you know what we saw in those. Um, those elections, the federal election, that that community power was was game changing, and so I hope that Triple R listeners will also uh, get involved in this state election because we're going to need those voices of the the sensible majority out there campaigning. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more. And also for people to make sure the Victorian Electoral Commission actually have your updated details. <laughs> Just double check, make sure that it's all up to date. And if you just moved to check yeah. your eligibility, because that would be such a shame if you missed out on such an important occasion. I know this sounds very nerdy to two political <laughs> people. Everyone else is probably like, oh, boring. I know. Yeah. Months away, Amy. Yeah, um, wake me up when it's democracy sausage day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll pay attention. But there is a lot going on in state politics, Fiona. Mm. I know that's pretty much an understatement whether it's, you know, official policy or if it's the political machinations and controversies, uh, certainly yeah. around the opposition leader at the moment, and, of course, Labor and the findings from IBAC and the Victorian Ombudsman. So much has been happening. But I do want to start with your bill that you have just recently introduced, and I think you've even gone to the second reading on, which is the Health Legislation Amendment, in brackets, Conscientious Objection Bill 2022, which essentially is making sure that people can access safe abortions, contraceptive services and voluntary assisted dying at all publicly funded hospitals, including those that are denominational or religious. That's something that perhaps some people might have assumed was already available if a hospital was receiving government funding from the state mm -hmm. government. I think a lot of people might assume that that there shouldn't be that leeway for a hospital to make a choice around whether they provide those services. I know, Amy, and I and you know, I was probably one of those people. I was so surprised when I heard, for example, when I heard that the Mercy Hospital, which if you're a public patient and you're pregnant, that is the hospital that you have to go to if you are in a certain part of, of Melbourne, if you're in the sort of north and in the west, um, where you can't get contraception. Uh, you can't say, for example, you had a caesarean there. You could not get a tubal ligation, um, and certainly your reproductive choices and your and family planning are extremely limited in a hospital that is our central gynaecology and obstetrics hospital. 
Now, mm. I, mean, I, I guess what's, I, I just, I want to assure any um, doctors out there listening that in no, it, this bill in no way uh, limits their right to conscientious objection. What we're saying is that corporations um, don't ha don't have thoughts, don't have emotions. So it's you know it's 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 ridiculous to suggest that they can have consciences. So what these some of these hospitals are doing are actually just forcing on their own ideology, not only on their patients but also on the doctors and medical practitioners that work in these places. So we've said we've heard of we've had stories of doctors having to, you know, take a patient who's hemorrhaging, you know, across the road to another hospital to provide a procedure that they weren't allowed to do in in the hospital that they were that they were working from. Um, so yeah, I think most people would be surprised by this. I think it's really sensible in light of Roe v. Wade, which I think we were all chilled by and we have every right to be chilled by um, we need to ensure that we protect um, we protect our reproductive rights in Victoria and we also try and reduce some of those barriers to um, contraception and abortion services and voluntary assisted dying. Oh, absolutely. It's clearly an issue that's come up. And mm. as you say, Roe v. Wade and the overturning of that has led to a lot of concern around the world that this could lead to creep in other countries around the reduction of rights for people seeking these services. And we have heard stories in the United States where people especially doctors and nurses, are unable to perform those procedures because they're concerned, you know, is this legal anymore? Um, am I going to be prosecuted for providing this service? We would hate to see that extended here. And clearly, as you say, medical practitioners, some of them already feel hamstrung or unable to provide a full service to a patient that they believe needs it in some of the hospitals that are religious. So if we're thinking about the, the bigger picture and the greater risks here to Australia and rights around abortion. Are there other areas that you're concerned if numbers change in parliament, yeah. uh, if a government changes, that these particular rights might be under threat? I, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm actually, and I'm not, I'm really not exaggerating. I, I actually am very concerned about what might happen and what the pushes will be next term. Um, with a sort of a different range of MPs from the Liberal Party being elected, who knows who will be on the crossbench, and also some Conservative members um, entering in from the Labor Party as well. Uh, so I am concerned that there will be attacks. You know, next year we start the review process for voluntary assisted dying. Now we know that while Victoria was the first, and I'm you know so proud of of Victoria taking the lead in assisted dying in Australia and that which led to every other state in Australia every other state in Australia legalizing assisted dying we ours is the most conservative uh, we are now up for review next year and i am very fearful that you know if we're not careful we could see ourselves going backwards not forwards on on assisted dying and and also on um yeah on reproductive rights it, you know, at the moment, things like medical abortion are so difficult to get in in Victoria. Uh, telehealth for reproductive health is almost impossible, and these are areas that I think we will people will try and um, and sort of shave away 
our rights and and our access. And so we just need to be incredibly vigilant and in, in some ways, in fact, fix up those barriers. So if you live in regional Victoria and you need a termination, it, you don't have a lot of choices. In fact, really, your own, you, you, easy, your only real choice is to, is to schlep down to Melbourne um, yeah. and seek access. And, and that, that shouldn't be the case. There's no, things that you can do. And this has come up at the federal level. A lot of journalists have put this mm. to the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, to say, what are you going to do about it? And he has said it's all a state issue, you know, oh. pushing the responsibility back onto you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what is your response to that when you hear that the federal government's just not really interested around the issues of cost when it comes to abortion and also equal access? It, you know, it was chilling to hear our Prime Minister say that. You know, here we think we have a progressive government, and you know this is a this is a party that went to the 2019 election with a policy to remove barriers to reproductive health, to ensure that um, publicly funded hospitals provided abortion services around the country, and in fact, if they didn't, they could lose their funding. So really, you know, firm and 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 strong. Um, policy, and then to you know the prime minister, then Anthony Albanese gets elected, and he says, "Oh, um, uh, no, it's all a state. It's all a state matter." I, I think it's it, it was frightening. I, I'm pleased to hear, and you know, she's I know she's a great supporter of, of Triple R, that Jed Carney um, has actually uh, is taking a different approach and has started working with the state health ministers and with state health departments to to look at a workaround on this because we know that. You know, uh, private abortion is 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 financially out of reach, if not geographically out of reach, for many Victorian people. Uh, but you know, there's there's levers that the federal government can do. But as I say, there's also things that we can do at a state level. And now, with it behoves us to do that. We really, I, I'm hopeful that our state government does stand up next week when this bill's debated and saying, "You're right." Every public hospital that we provide funding to should provide all the services that um, that their patients need, and they should never deny a doctor from providing from providing a procedure that he believe he or she believes that is their patient needs. Yeah, it's interesting to think, you know, what the counter argument to that could even be. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, are you hearing any counter arguments and are they quite absurd? Like I'm trying to think of something that would sound rational in response to that. Yeah, I, I, look, it's it's just ideology, you know, and, you know, I had, we had some, I've had some people, you know, obviously I've had some people who disagree with me who have been sending us lovely emails, mm. but, you know, some of them talk about, oh, well, you know, the mercy, mercy will just, you know, um, walk out of the hospital. I'm like, it's a fully funded public hospital. If they take their name off the door, well, we can put someone else's name on the door. Um, you know, I, I think you, what we're not saying that they can't have that ideology. We're not saying that that um, that doctors can't have that 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 belief. What we're saying though is, when a doctor wants to provide a, a service for a patient that needs it they shouldn't refuse that doctor the ability to do that i don't i can't think of a single i can't think of a single um argument uh, against it you know and i'm not certain that that 
you know, that, 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 will, that anyone will be able to mount good arguments. If they don't want to provide services to the public, then they shouldn't be publicly funded. Indeed. Excellent argument. And so, Fiona, if we're thinking of the hard numbers, which I know is, you know, part of the cut and thrust of politics, <laughs> um, I'm sure this is something that any member of parliament will have to be considering is what numbers do I have in the lower and upper house? You know, do you think that if you got Labor on board with this, that you could pass both houses? Because I know that the numbers are a little bit different in the upper house at the moment. And do you think that the crossbench there are open to your idea? I, I think we would have the numbers. I think when we look at it from a conscientious objection, a, a conscience vote, I, I think, look, I think the numbers could be slim. Um, but I, I think we do have the numbers. You know, I, who wants to vote? Hands up who wants to vote, vote with Bernie Finn. Like, hands up in a division wants to go and stand next to Bernie Finn and say, I have the same opinion as Bernie Finn on this issue. I would hope very few MPs in my chamber would want to do that. So, look, the, the num we're still working through the numbers. I certainly have had some significant support from some of my crossbench uh, crossbench colleagues after the second reading where you know we're meeting with the the opposition today um i you know this is just this is all about removing barriers it's not about removing medical practitioners right to refuse yeah that's a really really important nuance to that and one thing that is relating back to this issue more broadly, because you mentioned voluntary assisted dying and Victoria having quite conservative laws mm -hmm. around this, although we were, you know, the first to move, there is a court case at the moment, which we probably won't comment on, you know, in detail, yeah. but I just wanted to mention that it's happening, that Dr Nick Carr, who is a Melbourne GP, is actually taking legal action to try and ensure that GPs and other doctors can even discuss voluntary assisted dying on other communication means apart from in person, because at the moment doctors aren't able to talk about this issue with patients on the phone, on text, on email or on telehealth. And it does kind of seem to raise issues when you think about you're in a pandemic and someone might be eligible for voluntary assisted dying and, you know, perhaps their immune system is severely compromised to expect them to go in person, you know, in the midst of a third wave, perhaps maybe beyond them at the time, they might be in a really poor health condition. It does seem like there are some practical considerations around the voluntary assisted dying legislation when it's up for review, including those, but I'm sure there might be others. And do you think think that more broadly with that legislation and the review that there are areas that the state government and the state parliament can improve? Yeah, there certainly are, Amy. And, and I think some of it is is that clarification. The, the Telecommunications Act, and, and shout out to Nick Carr for doing this because, you know, he we, we don't think that the Telecommunications Act should impact on voluntary assisted dying and dying and certainly conversations between a doctor and, and their patient on voluntary assisted dying. But there has been a very sort of conservative view from the medical profession that that, that is the case. I, I think most of us understand there's a very different, you know, suicide and assisted dying are very different subjects. Um, and while the Telecommunications Act um, has prohibited conversations around suicide, you know, unless you're lifeline or um, or, or, or other helplines, uh, 
I, I think what Nick's doing, I hope we'll get clarification on this. And then I, I would hope that next year when we do the review, that those are the types of issues that we really um, uh, finalise once and for all and, 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 and make those legislative changes just to assert that, that that is not the case and that people can have these conversations. And, and I think on that, you know, I think I would like to actually um, enable doctors to have those conversations more readily. Our legislation prohibits a doctor from raising the issue uh, from and pro from providing any information about assisted dying unless they are specifically asked in no uncertain terms by a patient. Uh, I, I think we can certainly, certainly should be able to provide more information to patients um, when they are nearing end of life. Yeah, well, it's there for a reason, that service now. It's mm -hmm. hopefully more and more people can access it if it is relevant yeah. to their situation. And the numbers are still really small. And I don't, you know, this this whole idea of a slippery slope and this whole idea that, you know, once it's out there, you know, everybody will be lining up to get the little black box with the medication. It's not the case. And, in fact, what we find is sort of, you know, uh, a, a few hundred people go through the process, um, then uh, two-thirds of them uh, access the medication and then probably a third of them take the medication. Um, but knowing that it's there brings incredible comfort uh, to people towards the end of life, knowing that they, they, they have the they have that self-determination and they have that power to make those decisions for themselves. Mm, absolutely. It's that right to choose mm. to have control over your, at least the end of your life if you don't have control over the illness that's taking you. Um, that's you know, right. It's not your choice. Yeah. Fiona, I want to pivot a little bit to another area in state politics that has certainly caused concern around freedom of political speech, and that's the anti-protest logging laws. So... <sighs> So essentially, we're really concerned, and I'm when I'm saying we, I, I encompass human rights lawyers, other lawyers, activists, all yeah. kinds of people across Victorian society, and also now unions who spoke mm. out recently to say that this is just really concerning. It's pretty much the antithesis of what the Andrews government is supposed to stand for. And essentially, to kind of set the scene and the context, and I'm sure this is not news to you, but Victoria, according to the state's Auditor-General, has the most native vegetation cleared proportional to landmass of any Australian state. And mm. they found that it is failing to offset the damage that's being caused. Mm. So although Victoria has said that native forest logging will end in 2030, I believe, yeah. there's a lot of private land clearing, but also, of course, public land clearing that is going on in this state. And... Now, to put that into context again, we think about this bill that has now become legislation, unfortunately, which would see protesters who, quote-unquote, illegally enter timber harvesting zones to disrupt workers will face 12 months jail time or $21,000 in fines. This is supposedly because workers on these sites 
uh, saying, I'm not quite sure if this is true or not, that their mental and physical health is being impacted or threatened by the presence of protesters voicing their right to protest. But I, I've wanted your view on this because I know that you've just had the upper house vote. I'm sure the debate would have been potentially interesting if that was allowed. I didn't get to read the hand side, but I did get to read the end votes and I saw that you were on the no side. So I wondered if you could share your take on this issue. Oh, it was appalling, Amy. It was absolutely appalling. It went against all of the legal advice. It went against, I mean, it went against all of our innate sense of human rights. And, you know, and I think what, what really probably stuck in my craw and um, just... Uh, it was so frustrating and and so uh, uh, um, uh, awful was that they tried to use it under occupational health and safety. Like as you said, that mm. oh, the, you know, these protesters were affecting the mental health of their um, of workers. Not a single case could they present for this. Um, not a single person had actually made a case under OHS legislation that they had 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 been impacted by protesters, and. However, what has been found is that those protesters have probably found about 66 different instances where Vic Forrest was breaking the law, you know, and I think that was, um, yeah, 66 areas of the forest. So we've got, you know, well, the protesters I met um, were pretty, you know, they were grannies, you know, they were grandmothers and they were going out there with GPS and and measuring and, and recording and mapping trees with lead beater possums in them. Um, you know, the Vic Forests has, you know, has ignored legislation, has acted absolutely recklessly. Um, you know, they should, we shouldn't be waiting till 2030. There's plenty of other things we could be doing um, than, you know, logging native forests. Um, we've got plantations. I mean, my my you know pet um, project is is expanding the hemp industry in Victoria, which would meet so many of the needs that 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 Vic, that 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 our trees are are being used for. But yeah, it breached. We know that Vic Forest has been breaching environmental laws. We know that we are logging, as you said at the top, we are clearing more than any other state, um, and. To now suggest that the occupational health and safety of forest workers is impacted by peaceful protests and that existing protest legislation, existing health and safety legislation is not adequate. Um, I have no idea why this legislation came up. As you said, there, there was numerous very sensible people arguing against it, whether that was the Aboriginal Legal Service whether that was, you know, Environment Victoria, whether that was Liberty Victoria, um, you know, there was just a huge range of of, of organisations that that opposed this for very good reasons. This is completely draconian, and it should have been withdrawn. But no, the Labor and the Liberal Party and a number of my crossbench colleagues happily got up and voted for this legislation, um, and it, you know. For the Premier to say it strikes a balance is just, um, uh, well, it's it's not true mm. and it's completely self-serving. Yeah, and it is a bit of a slippery slope. If you're going to let this happen in this set of circumstances, mm. what's next? That's right. That That's exactly right. Um, you know, and there was... 
there was really, you know, there wasn't actually a lot of um, Labor speakers on it, and I can I can understand why. You know, yeah. I. I you know, I wouldn't have wanted to have to stand up and speak in favour of this legislation. Um, many of us got up and spoke against the legislation, but I, it, it is a slippery slope. You know, there, here is a government that the first thing that they did when they were elected in 2014 was remove, remove the, the move on laws, which was around right to protest and around the right to protest um, at, at, you know, at various places. So on one hand, they do this, and then seven years later, we see them introducing anti-protest legislation. Uh, I, I, I'm still, we, we could not in all our briefings get a clear understanding of why they were doing this, why it was necessary, um, and there was certain they could not provide us with any case history to say that this was an existing problem. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised that you couldn't figure out why, because it just goes to show just how <laughs> ideologically motivated this is. But heading into another area that is also, I think, quite concerning on a freedom and privacy area and obviously would fit with the Reason Party's area yeah. of interest is the Health Legislation Amendment Information Sharing Bill 2021, which appears to be sitting up in the Legislative Council, the Upper House, having already passed the Lower House really quickly. It was kind of rushed through last year. And uh, we had Juanita Fernando on the show to talk about this from a, a privacy perspective, because the Pri Australian Privacy Foundation is very concerned about this bill, as well as a number of doctors, a number of lawyers, Liberty Victoria, saying that essentially the bill is trying to link all patients' medical and health information into a single portal which can be shared across a huge range of services, including mental health services, ambulance services, hospital services. It's going to essentially be like a federal My Health Record, but without the ability for any Victorian to opt out of this process. And I think what was really illuminating from the conversation I had um, with people in the privacy space was their concern about how this might affect drug users, domestic violence, victim survivors, people with mental health conditions, those with disabilities, people from the LGBTIQ plus community, people who might be HIV positive. You know, these are people who are concerned that their information will be able to be accessed really broadly, but also that the information won't be complete. It might be incomplete. It might give a practitioner the wrong picture of a patient and so I kind of wanted to get your assessment on this because I've seen some views from some of your other crossbench colleagues when this came up for debate, like Tim Quilty, Clifford Hayes, um, and also Catherine Burnett-Wake and Georgie Crozier. Obviously, some of those are Liberals and others are uh, Liberal Democrats. But yet it seems like this is something which has kind of been flying under the radar. It's been making a little bit of news, but most Victorians aren't aware that this is something that the Labor state government is pushing for. And I wanted to get your insight into this bill and what your assessment is of it at the moment. Yeah, um, Amy, it's, it is in, on one side, when you look at this legislation on the face of it, you kind of think this actually makes sense that if someone's unconscious and turns up at a hospital, that you know, that there's there's information provided to the doctors. Um, you know, and we've got, you know, we've got doc hospitals currently, and this is no word of a lie, 
using fax machines to send material back and forth. So it was about enabling that kind of central database to enable um, hospitals to get information. Now, on one level, that actually sounds sensible, and you know, as you as you mentioned at the start, we've got a we've got a kind of a federal system there, but the fact you can't opt out, the fact you can't select the information that is being shared, there's where the problem is. You know, again, it's kind of a sledgehammer for a walnut. There is a lot of things that we could do to improve this, and certainly there's a lot of amendments on the table um, at the moment, which is probably why it hasn't why we haven't it hasn't come back to our house to for the debate debate to continue as you said we we had sort of half a day of debate with it so we got contributions from from a number of of MPs i i can understand the, some of the arguments from the hospitals and from the doc, and from the doctors but you know from a privacy perspective from an autonomy perspective this legislation needs to be amended. It can't pass in its, in its existing form. So I think we need to see much more control from the patient and much more control from us from the, um, over the information that we agree to share. And yeah. now there will be some people in certain situations that say, I want all this information here because you know, if this happens to me, I want that information. I want everybody to know that I've got allergies or I've got, you know, this underlying condition. But there will be others, you know, others of us who will not want all of our information, not want all of our personal health information shared broadly because it's not necessary. Uh, and this legislation enables, as you say, ambulance drivers, you know, the, the receptionist at the GP, access to, to information. And I, there's a number of sensible amendments being put forward uh, that, that I will almost certainly support. And that is around allowing people to opt out and allowing people to have greater say over what information is shared and with who. Yeah, I'm interested in that. And I, w I just wanted to ask, because I, I looked at where it's at, and obviously you're saying here that there must be a bit of back and forth in the background with amendments mm. at the moment. But I saw that Georgie Crozier, who I think is the Shadow Health Minister, yeah. she was suggesting that the bill be referred to the committee that you chair for inquiry. And I think that one question I had and, and what Juanita had and all these other legal and uh, medical experts had was why the government wasn't open to listening to civil society and the groups who had been writing to the minister and, you know, it, it basically was falling on deaf ears, essentially. There wasn't this kind of broader consultation about these unintended consequences and, of course, as you point out, the sledgehammer approach of just not letting people opt out you know it seems like a pretty basic fundamental principle yeah, at this point exactly and 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 i i despite the fact that when georgie was uh, uh, when georgie crozier was was proposing that inquiry i was doing an inquiry into the impact of on children of imprisoned parents and i just under, started a, an inquiry into right-wing extremism in victoria um, I was being asked to take on a third inquiry. Uh, so apart from... Uh, workload. Know, apart from the workload that that was going to bring, I was um, I am supportive of, have, you know, of greater consultation. 
and certainly for this bill to go before the for the um, before a, a through a parliamentary committee process, because I think we would tease out the issues. And and the, the upside of that is that if you can improve that and you can talk to the community, you may actually get a greater uptake. You may actually get greater support for um, for some of the information sharing that some of our doctors want. I don't know whether this, we've only got three more sitting weeks, so I'm not sure whether this bill will make it in to the, the range of legislation that, that the government will want to get through before the end of the year. If it doesn't, I think that we would we would come back with, with the time to do a proper inquiry and to have proper public hearings and get a proper community response to uh, to something as personal as how we share our health information. Yeah, and and certainly digitally, which brings up so many practical issues <clears throat> as well. I'm speaking with Fiona Patton, who is an upper house representative and leader of the Reason Party. Fiona, just to close out this conversation, I know you just mentioned that you released that report from the inquiry into children affected by parental incarceration. And as you've just referenced there, you're doing really important work at chairing that committee. I wanted to just get a sense from you, you know, in the, as you say, the dying sitting weeks of this parliament, what you feel have been some of your achievements in this last, you know, four years or so and you know, what you're particularly proud of, whether it's your own achievements or the parliaments in general? Mm. This has been a difficult four years. For, well, it's been a difficult two years for everyone. And, um, you know, but, but during that we managed to decriminalise sex work, something that the sex work community has been calling for since it was legalised in the 1980s. Prior to COVID, we got a commitment from the government to remove the Lord's Prayer, which to me is, um, while it's a small thing, is hugely symbolic of reflecting the secular state that we live in. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm hoping to maybe be around next next term to to make sure that that happens. Um, we extended um, out of home care, which I'm still waiting on the legislation that's been held up because of politics. But yeah, spent convictions. Um, uh, we've now got a loneliness portfolio. Um, we've got legislation around drug law reform. All of these are actually issues that I've been able to personally um, get over the line. Uh, but I, I think you know, right now that that report into the impact on children of incar parental incarceration. Uh, to me, th that will be that. I hope that will be a real legacy issue because I hope that that actually will change the way that we incarcerate people, and particularly the way we incarcerate mothers and fathers and and, and parents. Um, but you know, there's it's been a it's been a pretty full on four years, and and I even I think the the well, lots of people might not agree. Um, some of the pandemic legislation that we got through that moved us away from the draconian state of emergency to a much more transparent circumstance where we had a non-government committee, we had an independent committee. You know, that was it was brutal getting through that. But I actually think Victoria now has some quite robust, solid legislation that protects that has the has the protections for our human rights. 
um, in, in, the, in, in, in a good mix. We're, we're in a better place than we were that, than, than at the beginning of COVID. And I think we're actually in a better place than most jurisdictions are as far as transparency. However, there's a lot more work that could be done on transparency and integrity <laughs> in our parliament. As we've seen in the last few weeks. Yeah. Yes. No, it's, yeah, it, it's, exactly. there's a lot to be done. And I'm sure we'll get to cover more parts of that on this show in the future. We had the Victorian Ombudsman on a little while ago and it was very excellent to get her insights. So I'm sure... She doesn't hold more. back, does she? No. <laughs> That's why I love She's, her. She's great. I know. I, she, yeah, Deborah Glass. Great talker. Oh, amazing, amazing. Could yeah. listen to her for hours. Yeah, no, totally. Well, I could listen to you for hours, Fiona, but unfortunately we'll have to wind it up now. But I'm really, really glad to be able to speak with you in more detail about these issues. And it's just been so illuminating for me and I'm sure many people listening to get a sense of what's been happening in state politics around these issues of which, you know, you've been really focused and putting your energy and attention into. And we're very grateful, I'm sure, to people like yourselves who are pushing the major parties to do better, to try harder and to be more progressive on these issues. Thanks, Amy. And it's been a real delight to to talk to you. And I, it's always lovely to have these kind of longer conversations rather than just trying to get, you know, a whole piece, of, a whole body of work into a 90 second grab. So mm -hmm. <laughs> um, thank you for that. No, I appreciate it. And thank you for the, taking the time. I know you're very busy at the moment. So um, yeah, much appreciated, Fiona. And we'll check in again, I hope, after the election when you're re-elected. Great. Thanks, Amy. And to all the listeners, get involved in this state election. Totally. Thanks so much, Fiona. You. Bye. I've just been speaking with Fiona Patton, MLC, and she's joined me to talk about a whole range of issues relating to state politics, including a bill that she's just introduced into Parliament to ensure that people can access safe abortions, contraceptive services and voluntary assisted dying in all publicly funded hospitals, including those that are denominational or religious. And we've also touched on a number of other bills and laws that have either passed the parliament or are still sitting there in the upper house for consideration. So as you can tell, Victorian state politics is never dull. There's plenty going on despite what might be in the news. I'm Amy Mullins and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.